Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Uh, those of you who have been following the show know that uh, in Kansas, uh, they have been fighting a very uh, restrictive anti-municipal network uh, bill. And, in fact, it's not even fair to call it anti-municipal network. It is pretty much an anti-competition bill that would make it almost impossible for any uh, type of competition to come in and challenge uh, whomever the incumbent is, no matter how bad their service may be. And though the bill is in, is, has been pulled back for... Uh, what they refer to in the legislature as tweaking. You know, we expect this to come back out. But we do want to continue to talk about the issues that these bills have because they are popping up in other states, Utah being the most recent after um, Kansas. And uh, one of the ironic aspects of these bills is that they um, are, are brought out with this, you know, cloaked in this whole idea that they are protecting the private sector. They are protecting private enterprise and so forth. And the irony is that these bills actually do a lot of damage to um, the local economies and local businesses. So it's really an issue of you know, the many being adversely affected by the greed of the, of the few. And today we're going to really hit this issue hard I've invited uh, a local entrepreneur out of uh, Topeka, Kansas. So he is both uh, an entrepreneur, so he understands the small business market, and he's located in Topeka, where you know, which is the state capital, and, and all this activity is pretty much at ground zero. Uh, Lazone Grays is here. He is the uh, president of IBSA, which is a nonprofit. Uh, organization, a social enterprise organization, and Lazone, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Craig, for having me. I, uh, you know, we actually met uh, via via Facebook when this whole bill uh, exploded onto the scene at the end of January, and uh, you're one of the folks that's out there helping to. Uh, lead some of this uh, community backlash that has been, oh, very effective, actually, at uh, getting folks to both take notice and to withdraw the bill, even if it's only temporarily. Um, What is it about this bill that affects you as an entrepreneur who works with other entrepreneurial souls there in, in Kansas? Well, the most basic part is when big telecom companies start trying to uh, limit competition. Some of the more innovative and brighter minds may not come from within their companies but are homegrown, right, in a rural area or uh, inner city urban area where they feel that uh, they would like to have bring access, connectivity to their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, just the approach that telecoms are trying to sort of eat up resources now, get them locked in so that when some of the other bigger things break open several years down the road, that they've already pretty much legislated uh, the competition out of, out of competition, 
and they're going to continue to reap in monies because people are going to need service. But then again, of all the monies that they have had, there's still those pockets of the digital divide in inner cities and the rural area. So that's really where um, we're really looking to focus on, looking at how this policy just wasn't good for the long term for communities that have historically been left out. Mm-hmm. So in many respects, we're talking about um, widening the digital divide. Yes. Um, you know, whether you live in urban or rural areas, the fact remains that most applications for jobs, you have to take them online. Now, waiting for a big telecom company to move into a rural area or to make affordable access or help create better connectivity in urban areas, uh, people don't have time to wait for technology to set up. People who are looking for jobs, trying to improve their quality of life, they need, uh, they need to have some access now. Sometimes that the best time a person can do some of the work to better themselves and maybe night classes or really do an online job search when the kids are studying or getting in bed is in the evening. So not all places have proper transportation to get to and from libraries and public uh, centers that may have Internet, uh, internet access. So looking at the bigger picture, uh, ideas are going to be coming forward on how to bring connectivity to these neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And part of the conversation is going to have to happen with the local governments to see what the possibilities are. If a bill like this were to go through, if I had an idea of bringing connectivity to an underserved neighborhood right here, this would basically tie local government's hands, which may have some public funds that they want to commit, for us to go in and do something that the regular telecoms have chosen not to do at this time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that we can, you know, we find a lot of people who agree on the um, adverse nature of this, this whole thing. Let's talk about the role not only of the, the local government, but the local business community. Um, in, in Georgia, last year, those legislators brought up a bill there to pretty, much, pretty severely curb municipal networks, and it was the business community rising up that pretty much uh, killed that bill, at least for last year. It'll probably rear its ugly head again this year. But the the business community uh, stepped up in in a pretty big way. What is the role of business, uh, small business in particular, in the economic picture of of, – both urban and and small uh, communities there? Well, um, 20 years ago, the type of business that we do today did not exist. You can operate a respectable revenue profit-generating business uh, from the comfort of your kitchen table with Mm -hmm. Internet access. The technology uh, that we have to work with today is much further along than we had to work with seven years ago. 
and where technology is going to be within the next three or five years, some new app which may be able to increase the productivity of a small mom and pop, a mainstream storefront in a small community, a person still sitting out on the farm or at the kitchen table in, on the ranch, or someone who is low income and in, in living in public housing, that you have young people who are uh, learn programming, making apps, and selling them on iTunes and places, platforms like that there, and they're making money. So they're sort of a, they're a young person, yes, but they're an entrepreneur just as well. The, uh, in order to be prepared and take advantage of the different uh, technologies, cloud printing, other cloud-based technologies, having access to connectivity is going to be important. So small businesses, they really do have to be aware of the policies that could interfere with them being able to, uh, you know, be pro- take advantage of the world of technology. Mm-hmm. And do you do you find in your travels that the um, that the small businesses are clearly in tune with the danger that these kinds of bills represent? I don't think so. I mean, people are working hard all day in their business or even when they work for some other company. Most times, like, the last thing they want to do is watch the news or read the newspaper, world news or local news, uh, because it could just be so depressing. Uh, When you're at the level of policies, especially like lobbyists, who get paid good money to just delve through all the paperwork and be crafty with words, and they have the inside ear on decision makers that your average person is just going to work at their business or going to work for someone else they just don't have. People are not informed. If they just rely on what they read in their local newspaper or just on their reg- their traditional radio show, whether it's the country channel or an urban radio station, the, de- the devil that's in the details is not going to be discussed in public. Mm-hmm. So uh, we... Lobbyists are good at what they do for the industries. The people, except for people like us, who stay Mm -hmm. on point, do the research, stay on top of it, and find a medium to get this conversation out there so that they will know what's at stake. So when they just see a little byline in a newspaper or hear a little blurb on the radio, something that we say can make them, oh, I remember this is something that I should be listening to or following because it can impact my business or my friend's business or my husband's business, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So in, no, sorry, I think ahead. that there's so much distraction that's going around from education debate to other social, you know, debates, and this one just sort of gets squeaked in there under the radar and people aren't really – uh, educated to the topic. A lot of people may have smartphones and and, and tablets and desktops, uh, but very few of them actually know the coding to create apps, uh, to mm-hmm. create websites, 
and this is the type of industry, bands like this here, people who have to rely on Internet access, who make their bread and butter building websites and building and launching apps uh, that could be beneficial and affordable to their small business. The conversation is so is so deep, so comprehensive that I fear that most small business owners don't know the policy, nor do they have uh, an advocacy group that's really sort of uh, educating them, not just us advocating, but also educating the people on why is it that we're advocating for this. Mm-hmm. And that's a big challenge, I guess, in its, its own right. Um, do you think that there are some avenues in which uh, folks can go about doing that education? I mean, how how does that happen? I mean, how are you how are you at you know educating other entrepreneurs? Well, I can use uh, an example of Google Fiber which chose Kansas City, Kansas, and then Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I'm in Topeka. Topeka changed this name to Google for a day, but that still wasn't good enough to get them to choose Topeka. Mm -hmm. But in itself, it was an experiment. It was a Google Fiber experiment. And probably already do work in the Kansas City area there in the lower moderate income communities. I just sort of put myself at the table from the very beginning on what Google Fiber wanted, where they were going, what was their technology. Uh, I went to all the meetings, the pre-registrations, because I wanted to know about that as well as if the opportunity of bridging the digital divide that I knew exists, if there would be an opportunity to uh, do some project. Mm -hmm. Uh, That got me in the room with tech people, mayors, partners, uh, institutions, foundations, to sort of start holding the conversation on what does not just ultra-high-speed broadband connectivity bring, but what does connectivity at its most basic level mean to the neighborhoods, business, low-income neighborhoods. Uh, With that said, I think that when you have people who are an honest broker really – going to the meetings, looking out for the concerns of the little guy and their neighborhood, not just the people who are looking out for the concerns of the big research institutions, colleges, uh, uh, government institutions, that uh, those who have the money to pay the premium price. It keeps the conversation. It keeps someone in the room that they can feel comfortable that, well, this is really the person that we're talking with who really cares about making sure that this other population isn't left behind. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there are other technologies that are available to bring Internet access and connectivity to underserved communities. It's not just what the telecoms can do uh, with their fiber optics, uh, fiber networks, or running stuff on poles and landlines. It's not just Google Fiber. Now we are into the uh, – we've been there, but it's advancing more of the wireless technology and the WIF, you know, technology, and that's probably going to be the most feasible and effective way of bringing 
quickly connectivity to different underserved markets. It's not something that the telecoms are going to do, and they're probably not going to give a grant to no nonprofit organization to do that neither. That may be somewhere where it has to be that local uh, partnership between a foundation and local government. You pony up 150000 a foundation pony up 150000 and now we can work on a project doing something that if we were to wait for by the other people, it'll never happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and, and that's really the, um, the, the hideousness of the bill that's being proposed is that it is pretty much shutting off all of these creative avenues. I mean, by having such a blanket, you know, restriction, you can't be a local government, you can't be an, a private sector company that, you know, uses the government right-of-ways, and on and on the restrictions go, but, uh, but a large part of the damage are, are just creating innovative alternatives. I mean, Google is, all, is perceived as the main target because they've got Google Fiber, but really when you look at it, what Google Fiber has done has created a lot of independent, creative, you know, let's find new approaches such as you have yeah. done, and then the bill would come in and kill all of those, you know, things that Google's done plus anything that people like you can do. Yes, because even though we put together, uh, I had envisioned and had and was able to work with a, a great group called Connecting for Good that had the technical expertise in the microwave, you know, wireless mesh networks when our proposal for the largest and oldest public housing development in Kansas City, in the state of Kansas was turned down to provide the wireless using Google's infrastructure. Uh, so even though we got the project going and didn't use, wasn't able to use Google's infrastructure, by them coming to town, they bought the 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 peak and the knowledge uh, and opened the doors to really start thinking about technology and connectivity. It didn't matter if we were getting people in the low-income neighborhood hooked up with Google Fiber. What's more important is that we are getting them hooked up. Mm-hmm. Now we have a community, community computer tech center cropping up in the neighborhood to do other type of targeted tech type of trainings and programs that aren't being conducted in the school system or by any other organization. So it's sort of a sandbox uh, area for us where we are able to try some things that are new. Because Google came to town, the first thing the Kansas Cities did is they said that model has become the most entrepreneurial city in the United States. It has brought tech type of thinking and entrepreneurs to the area to stay in, in hacker homes, you know, and they're having hackathons and hackavates, you know, all over the place. There's a lot of energy going on in technology, tech startups, in entrepreneurship. The mm-hmm. Conference Foundation is there. So uh, if Google wouldn't have been able to come into town, the conversation would not have moved up numerous notches that would be opening the door to some uh, projects like what we did with our wireless network and some of the other tech programs that are being formulated and produced right now. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting 
that's an interesting uh, you know set of circumstances. Have you spoken with any of the legislators involved in this bill or any of the legislators in general about uh, you know well talk, just the topic of broadband? Uh, yes, I have uh, Senator Alita Fosgudo and she's not on any of the committees regarding this, but she is a legislator. She does vote. And then uh, I have several who are friends with me on Facebook, you know. Mm -hmm. So I tend to use my personal Facebook page uh, to put information out there on issues, you know, that I care about. I My friends care about issues, too. Uh, and they can help spread the word, too. Uh, we have our organization Facebook page. But if there's some information about a grant opportunity, a business opportunity, a policy that's going to impact a business or whatever, I believe that I want to post it on my Twitter, on my Facebook page too. Mm -hmm. So uh, not only did I have some legislators who are my friends, and I shared it, but I spoke personally to a couple uh, legislators about it, uh, that one that represents the Kansas City area and another with the Wichita area, just so that sort of educating them. I mean, I started building websites back in 1992. So speaking with a legislator is like speaking Greek, you know, in the Appalachians. They don't understand a word that I'm saying, but mm -hmm. uh, they know that if I'm passionate about it, it must be something that they uh, should be concerned about. The project that we put together in Kansas with the one specific public housing development as a model project is sort of something that we can look to Wichita, uh, to Chanute, uh, to another area that maybe we can duplicate this project. Now, we may not have the, if, uh, the cooperation of unified government in Wyandotte County to work with in another city, but that doesn't mean that uh, if a bill like this passed through, we could guarantee that we wouldn't be able to hold a conversation and, and work in partnership with the local government. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the technology to bring connectivity to target neighborhoods is there. A little bit tougher for the rural area, but uh, even I think the, uh, President Barack Obama their initiative to get uh, thousands of schools wired. Well, you're really talking about having to work with government and technology of bringing that type of uh, connectivity to not just the schools, but to the neighborhoods and where uh, people live just as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I've spoken with legislators, and there were others with the Kansas Broadband uh, Coalition, you know, that really sort of led the charge there. I was just another voice added on to their voice, and uh, apparently it was pretty loud and clear because, you know, we put the stops to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and thanks with your help and the information that you had shared, that I share, you know, with my group of people that I know will read, listen, and respond to what I send them. Mm hmm it's a real it's a real uphill battle uh no doubt how have the chambers uh stepped into this or have they because again you know if, if you look at trying to get uh 
momentum. You know, you're out reaching out to, you know, a dozen people here, a half dozen people over there, and you're building up this, this, uh, this network of people who are engaged. But then you look at things mm-hmm. such as the chamber, of which every, uh, you know, community has one, uh, or there's a, mm-hmm. um, a Rotary Club or Kiwanis and so forth and so on. Are there signs that these types of organizations have gotten engaged in the, uh, this Kansas bill or that they might get engaged in this bill, the fight against this bill? Well, they didn't get engaged this time around. I think this bill, you know, took a lot of people blindsided. You know, mm-hmm. where did this come over you? Wake up one day and bam, it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're talking about traditional agencies that have no real knowledge of technology and the understanding of technology. Uh, chambers, you know, are about bringing big businesses, corporations in and giving them tax incentives. They wouldn't know you know, a gigabyte from a megabyte, you know, if you actually mm-hmm. spelled it out in front of them. Uh, the state chambers of commerce are more for the bigger industry, uh, agriculture, and things like you there. Technology, it really, it's a foreign uh, concept. There's not a lot of knowledge base uh, at these traditional organizations about it. So I believe they just sort of stayed out of the fray. Uh, at this time around. The next time around, uh, it could be different. Uh, wasn't anyone really educating the populace or organizations why they should support the bill? But there wasn't really any of the same effort on why they should not replace the bill or should not have the bill. Fortunately, a few people saw it and responded that got it stopped in its tracks. But as the articles say that, they're just going to go in the back, retool, and try to shove something else down the pike here. And now that people have been forewarned, there's organizations like ours and others that probably have to uh, put together some type of campaign uh, so that with a unified voice on the, uh, the why nots of this type of policy so that when it does come up, that they'll be a little bit more informed on what's at stake. Most people are worrying about what's the next big thing. You know, is it going to be an Android where I can put my thumb on it, you know, and lock it through encryption? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. not a topic of this detail here, uh, especially when you're talking about profits and uh, contributions and government funds. I mean, AT&T takes in a lot of money per month from millions of people, probably $35 at a time. But you really don't see them cutting no big half a million dollar contribution checks to no organization that's bridging the divide in an area that you know that it's needed. Now, $500,000 is probably a crumb compared to what they are making when low-income people pay their cell phone bill or their phone bill just as well. And you can use that with probably any of the other companies so that if you can't force them to share within some of the profits that you're paying into to help the community, then you have to look to government. When you can't look to the private sector to do something that's needed to be done in the community, the people must have the ability of looking to government because uh, we pay taxes in, in 
there has to be some type of reinvestment. Just reinvesting in neighborhoods like this here is more than just sidewalks and lights anymore. When you have now, because of state policies that have gone down that impact local uh, taxes that are in that could keep the doors open of community centers and, and schools, it's not there, so they are closing, looking to close community centers and schools, then, yes, it is a bad thing, but maybe we have reached that time to whereas these are buildings that should be transitioned over to tech centers that are located in the communities, providing the type of training that is needed within that community. That's going to take cooperation with your local government. And if we write a grant to uh, get put a Wi-Fi in an abandoned community center through CDBG funds or through local available tax dollars, and this bill is in place, that would mean that we wouldn't be able to do something that, like I said before, regular telecoms are going to come in. It's better to transform an old abandoned school or community center into a tech center than to just have it sitting vacant and nothing going on in it at all, or just basketball and some other sports. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I fully understand, you know, what it is that, that you're saying, and it's an education process. It's an unending process, and so you have to um, always be on your toes and your P's and Q's and whatnot. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I spoke with a lobbyist once upon a time in Washington, and um, it's it's kind of a sobering experience, you know, because some of us, I think, were raised on, you know, schoolhouse rock or whatever it was that described how bills get passed and all that other. <laughs> I'm just uh, a bill. Let them only a bill. <laughs> so, so, so what the lobbyists did to kind of throw some cold water on that is he said, well, you know, first off, legislators have staff because your chance of getting the legislator's time is, you know, is difficult. Uh, probably more importantly than the difficulty in getting that legislator's time is the fact that, you know, they have so much going on. The fact that, you know, their ability to actually engage and focus on what you're talking about is a little shaky to begin with. You know, they they, they will correct, catch some of what you're saying, maybe, right? But the, but when you come to technology, I mean, it, it, you just lose a lot of these folks. So so you're basically yeah. talking about the staff. And then you're talking about a staff person who's, you know, who's harried and always behind so you've got about, you know, 10, 15 minutes. He goes, the, the lobbyist goes, you've got to have a two-pager. It's got to be blunt to the point. It's got to be, you know, why is this thing important to that legislator and their district and, you know, whatever else that that legislator cares about, um, you know, in addition mm-hmm. to being elected, which is pretty much what they all care about. And then you've got to, um, you know, have some sort of call to action and you've got to kind of work your 15 minutes toward presentation, call to action, you know, this is why it's important, and you have to follow up. Mm-hmm. And that's how these guys work. I mean, and, you know, on one hand, it's not very complex. Uh, you know, it's fairly simple. But, it, but it's clear that, um, I think anyway, that organizations such as yours that are, you know, that are, that are leading the charge need to equip your, uh, you know, your contacts, your people that you're influencing, you know, the chambers of commerce that you belong to and all of that, that this is how mm-hmm. they have to play the game. 
does that seem like a reasonable um, expectation and a path of action? Oh, yes. Uh, you know, I grew up watching Scrooge McDuck, you know, and I'm always trying to work smarter and not harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, the testimony that, uh, you know, they give an opportunity for people to come to the state house and provide testimony to the committee if it's going to be recommended out, you know, recommended for approval or not. Most people who are working in their business or working from somewhere else, they can't just get off and come up to the state house and provide testimony. Uh, they may not know what to say. Uh, fortunately, like in the website for the Kansas Broadband uh, Coalition that was working, uh, uh, rose quickly to work against this foolishness, uh, they were able to provide a sample email, and here's an email address for the people who sit on such committees and legislators. Uh, because a person may not know, well, where do I send an email? How do I draft it? What the wording should be? So that is uh, uh, something that we have to do on the grassroots level. A lobbyist is a paid hitman. You know, they're there. They know the talking points. If uh, people can uh, either come and provide vocal testimony, type up a written testimony and send it in just to get it on the record, to at least send in uh, an email to their representative or senator saying that they are not in support of this bill because of X. Uh, most people really don't know why. Uh, so uh, in it, this is an example of a lot of issues that really is going on in the state capitol that's impacting our lives. People just don't know they don't have a lobbyist. They have advocates. Companies have lobbyists. They pay them to deliver. People have advocates, not realizing that if you don't pay them, they may not be able to be there at the meeting to say the things that need to be said at the moment that it needed to be said. You know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're... There has been a couple of – there's more shows or programs are being identified. I've seen on the morning news several times of really innovative programs that have popped up in some of the inner cities and some of the rural areas that's really inciting young people about STEM, technology, uh, careers, coding, 21st century. These programs are not being created or sponsored by your chambers of commerce and your traditional organizations, by your state departments. So that just goes to show how lost they really are when it comes to truly understanding how technology plays a role in their neighborhood, in their community, how it is going to define the competition when a company chooses between Missouri and Kansas or if another international company chooses between Kansas or Topeka and Atlanta or Georgia on where they put a plant because they want access to a population of not people who just already have the skills, but they can see that you have a pipeline of education that is preparing young people for these type of jobs and skills that they're going to need within the next five, seven, or ten years. Mm-hmm. Whenever this is the part of the uh, conversation that 
Sure, a person can go in. Uh, it's like tag team. If they only give you five minutes, make sure you have 15 people so that when you run out of your five, the next person can just start up where you left off at, and you can still get your message and your point across. All mm-hmm. the things that I would like to say, I just can't say in five minutes. So I just sort of hit home on the part to where why is it important for your state or your local government to take the lead, uh, especially when you are competing against other states and cities that are doing this stuff? Now, uh, more parents are coming to understand that they want their kids to be technologically literate for the jobs of today and tomorrow, but they really don't know the lack of that training that's going on in their public schools. There are very few organizations, tech-bit nonprofits, that's creating evening after-school and weekend programs to fill that void. There are very few government, normally uh, government community centers consist of basketball courts and some other leisure type of stuff, not real uh, they have not been deemed learning centers and training centers. So I think that uh, uh, proposals need to be prepared that are universal on what's going to be provided. So it doesn't matter if it's a urban area in Atlanta or Los Angeles or Topeka, Here's a package deal. You get you a Wi-Fi. You set up an adjacent computer tech center. These are the core initial type of IT programs that you seed into it for young people between the ages of 9 and 17. These are the specific programs that you run out of the building between the hours of 8 and 3 or 4 when those adults, non-working, eligible for public assistance, who will pay for their training, for them to have a place within their community to come for more specialized training for to make them job ready. So that uh, 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 I'm not going to just be looking at Topeka and try to solve Topeka's problem. The problems that each of these cities have, there are some things that are pretty core and universal to each and every one of them. Connectivity and the proximity of connectivity uh, to the population who need it the most. So if a proposal is done, that means that uh, a group on the local level don't have to reinvent the wheel or try to struggle with what words or what programs and what technology do we need. There'll be somewhere where they can come and get that. Whether a bill like that passed or not, the need for access and connectivity in the realm that we're talking about is going to continue to exist. Right. And then that's going to um, matter a, a, a heck of a lot in terms of, you know, the overall advancement, because I think that in some people's minds, um, well, you've got one of a couple of scenarios. And in, in, in the case like Georgia and North Carolina before the final hammer fell with their really bad legislation, was that you'd fight the battle and then it would resolve itself and be done for the year. And then you gear up and then you have the battle again the following year. And um, the, the reason that I think Georgia was effective in uh, beating down the bill last year 
and it had come up in Georgia before. It wasn't last year. It was not the first time. Uh, when you look at uh, North mm-hmm. Carolina, they, they went to battle probably four years in a row uh, before the 2010 elections pretty much packed the state house with uh, folks who were just not understanding the news here about broadband, at least not the community version of it. And uh, mm-hmm. but, but there was the... There was a cycle, right? There was the battle, 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 you know, you got a year. And I think that what needs to happen is the the interim period is when you ramp up the education. Um, mm-hmm. Because next time around, you know, people, it's a year later, uh, the, the, the incumbents will find different ways to phrase it so it doesn't sound like the same garbage and so forth and so on. So your your strategy is to... Is to um, Educate, 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 never stopping the education. And even if the bill doesn't come back, the process of the education will open up new opportunities and different opportunities anyway uh, for for people Mm -hmm. to take advantage of. And I think to add to that, um, uh, in the interim, when you have a project that goes online like what happened in Wyandotte County, you're also creating something to point to and say, see, here's an example of why it's needed, it's good, and it's working. That if you have four more communities that create uh, connectivity and programming that uh, showing some type of positive gain in a community, that when it comes time to... Uh, uh, testify. You can have companies saying why they want to do it because of financial reasons, and I don't believe, uh, you know, government, as I told our local government, they should have been selling prepaid calling cards, you know, just like everybody else. Why not? And have that money, the profits go to fund your community centers. Mm-hmm. Just because you don't want to compete with the, 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 the prepaid phone card industry, that doesn't shouldn't have to stop you. They're not giving you money to keep your community centers open. Governments have to understand social enterprise concepts just as well. There are things that government can do and sell that are needed in the community anyway that I would rather go and buy my minutes for my cell phone from a community center knowing that that's what's keeping the doors open than going and buying them from Walmart. Really, really I would, <laughs> you know. But uh, no, That makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, and um, and I think that, you know, this is where the value of having these ongoing discussions come into play because I think there are so many different answers, right? You know, I meet with clients that want to talk about how can we get, uh, you know, the broadband, better broadband to our community. And they only have two mm-hmm. options in their minds. I mean, they literally come to the table and they think I either can tax, I can do bonds, um, I can find a Google. Right? But their vision, right? their vision of what the possibilities are is very limited, and it's only by mm-hmm. getting a bunch of people in the room with different ideas, and some will be you know, certifiably crazy, others will be you know, boringly <laughs> pragmatic, but between the mix and the match and the rumbling and the back and the forth, yeah. opportunities that would not have made sense otherwise come into play. Then you have a way yeah. out. And a lot of people got educated at the same time. Right, exactly. You know, and then and they pick up the cause. You know, they become the potential customers for whatever 
access you bring in, whether we're talking about bringing in wireless or fiber, whether we're talking about bringing in, you know, refurbished computers or new iPads, whatever the case may be, but, you know, everything runs on money. I mean, you cannot get away from that. If I'm doing these, these networks, uh, you know, we can talk to we're blue in the face about the public good and economic development, but the bottom line, yeah. they run on money. So yeah. and, and the money is out there. Right. The, mon- the money is available. You just have to know where to go find it. You know? It. <laughs> okay, you well, know? You, 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 and you know where it's at. It's how do you wrap the conversation in the words that they uh, that can resonate with them to say, okay, we can do this. Uh, foundations have $55 million sitting in them. What you want to do doesn't cost $55 million. Uh, five, co- five corporations can come up and donate $10,000, which is a drop in the bucket what they normally give on their annual giving. Uh, a, a challenge grant. Uh, the the local governments can probably set aside something, although that's a little bit more political. But uh, if uh, if people who work for companies, they have the right to go to HR and say, I want $10 to come out of this check each month for this whole year, and it goes to this specific program. They can join the campaign federal fund that's specifically for payroll deductions of federal employees who may live in the community. They may not live in that community, but they live on the other side, and they want their donation for one year to go to help a, a fix to do a specific project that's going to make a neighborhood on the other side of town better. That's just a one-year commitment of $120. But when you have uh, uh, 5,000 people in a city do that, that adds up into doing into making something happen. Uh, and then you can look at the sustainability areas uh, at some other point. But uh, millions of dollars are given away. It is just, I think it's hard to, uh, nothing has been packaged and proven that makes it easier for, most governments don't want to do anything that they're not used to doing unless you can show example of another local government that's already doing it. Therefore, they don't have to worry about is it constitutional or not. It must have been legally vetted for that government to do it, so now it has a 50-50 chance of being uh, adopted there. What determines if it gets adopted or not, I guess it's in the presentation. It was brought to the presentation. If uh, uh, if a person was sitting down with their housing authority, their welfare agency, their foundation director, uh, and their mayor or city manager in their city just to talk about technology, what are the areas that are underserved, what's the potential of bringing some connectivity to some of those areas there, I don't think anyone would not have the conversation. Mm-hmm. But the people at the table would definitely need some leadership, not just on it's needed, but it's not just needed. Here's the technology we can use. This is the proxy how much it's going to cost. Now, we can get a commitment of five agencies here, the foundation, local government, our school district, uh, maybe a corporation that wants to take the lead. The monies to do something is probably sitting right there. It's just nobody sort of focusing on making it happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know what neighborhood in 
where you live or in Atlanta. I can only look uh, in the city that I live that I live in or where I'm working and say I can tell you exactly the neighborhood that I would start a pilot project in. Mm-hmm. So uh, once uh, 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 people have the talking points down and such, it won't matter what city or area that I'm in. It's the same uh, decision makers that are brought to the table to have the same discussion based off of the local uh, numbers and feasibility. And I think anything that can be kept under $200,000 can probably be funded on, on a local level, especially in an urban area. I don't think that foundations and others are not receptive to the conversation or the discussion and the support. I just don't think that has been packaged and sold to them very well. Mm-hmm. And that's what we can do. And then once we have those things going on and we see successes, we have to learn how to do p- better PR and exploit those those uh, achievements that we are having. That's why we're having uh, uh, the open house for the new computer uh, tech center in Kansas City with the ex-mayor and all the dignitaries and the Google folks and the foundations, and you know, they'll all walk through. They probably never walked through Northeast Wyandotte County before. It's like you were afraid to go through Northeast Wyandotte <laughs> County. And they'll definitely be gone before it's dark. <laughs> but, you know, those are the very neighborhoods where when it's getting dark and they already live there and they feel comfortable living there, they can walk across the street and go and take a GED class or a video editing and pro, uh, production class or just to get their mouth wet on some of these. I mean, we need to get all the way down to uh, teaching, uh, inciting young minds how to solder and how to fix broken screens on, on smartphones. You know, it's not just the online connectivity. It's the other offline stuff, that programming that we do so that minds can sort of start wrapping their words around not com- computers and connectivity, but technology. Yep. That, that's, uh, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, and I think the, you know, the case that you make is very logical. And if you were to, if you look at the success stories across the U S I mean, the more than, you know, 300 community owned networks, the various, Mm-hmm. Uh, computing centers and the recycling programs that result in mm-hmm. uh, getting computers for people then to get access and, you know, the homegrown mm-hmm. Wi-Fi networks and all of that, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's all the thread that runs through them is very similar to what you're talking about. You know, you create a pilot, you show success, you educate, you educate again, you use the pilot to educate, then you motivate, mm-hmm. you send people out to bring others in and you educate them and you repeat the cycle, you know, rinse as necessary. But it Mm -hmm. is that core exercise that, you know, whether you're talking Chattanooga or you're talking Wyandotte County, whether you're talking, uh, you know, Chanute, Kansas, it's, it's the same core thing is that they started by, you know, a lot of education they created, um, you know, pilots. They created, you know, the test to, to prove the theory. Uh, they showed off the theory. You know, Chanute does a very good job of promoting its success. Chattanooga does an excellent mm-hmm. job of promoting its success. 
And success breeds success, and it motivates others. Mm-hmm. And it motivates the jealousy factor. You know, more mm-hmm. broadband projects get started because of jealousy properly than anything else, you know, because they want to be mm-hmm. that city. They want to be getting that business. They want to get those new companies. And in this particular case, jealousy is just fine, you know. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a simple game plan. It's a simple game plan. And the communities have an advantage I don't think people realize which is if you look at some of the more rural communities with broadband or even the, you know, the larger cities like Lafayette, they have been targeted, once their networks got going, they have been targeted by Comcast, by Time Warner, and those giant companies, ginormous companies, could not mm-hmm. dislodge the small community network. I mean, it made life difficult for them. But they managed mm-hmm. to survive because the community understands the value of the asset. And so they fight for the asset. They patronize the asset. They make sure the asset survives come hell or high water. And, and that's, an advantage. So. that's an advantage that incumbents don't have, will never have. You know, they, they, what was that again now? I said, and that's an advantage that incumbents will not have. They will never have that community buy-in at that emotional level because they're not the community. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, the federal government initiative to connect to compete, Mm -hmm. which was supposed to make these big telecoms provide uh, free and or affordable, I guess like no more than $12.99 a month, broadband access available to any household that had children eligible or receiving free or reduced lunch. Now, you're not going to see no ad like that at the Super Bowl informing people, you know, that this mm-hmm. is something that they're really supposed to be providing. We're supposed to spurn competition. Uh, but I'm I'm still digging through rocks and mud and gravel trying to find a local person in Topeka that I can call and talk about this. It's the 800 number that they send me to as if I'm trying to get service. I can't get a live person to tell me about this program and what can I do to let people who I know are eligible for this – Hey, even if they have to pay for it and they have the money and they want to pay for it, they should at least know which provider is providing it, how much do they provide, how much is it does it cost, and what they need to do or where they need to do to go to sign up. Don't keep the information hidden from people. And so uh, 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 there may be, like I said, there may be some who want to pay for the service. There may be some who can't pay for the service. Once I know all the pieces that are on the table that I have to work with, then it's a lot easier for me to play the game and possibly win. But if I don't know all the pieces and you're just throwing pieces up there any old way without any structure and saying, well, you can just move the piece however you want, and then when I move it somewhere, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you moved it the wrong way. You know, it's a <laughs> lot of confusion. If you can keep people out there confused, you can never have them focus on what they really need to be doing. Right. And so if I have to have an alternative that I have no problem referring people to get involved with the Connect to Compete program at 10.99 per month uh if there is no other feasible alternative because I want you to have connectivity. That can be a game changer in your in your household for you or your child. But when you uh connect that is not about them funding 
innovative <clears throat> non-telecom projects, that's about trying to move more money off into the hand of the existing behemoths anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, that's something else that, that most people don't know anything about the Connect to Compete information preceded Google. Right. Uh, most telecom companies are not promoting that there's anything available. So uh, an organization, a good organization, will put all the information out there, all the information on all the choices that are available so that you can make an informed decision to choose the one that's right for you. And let me say, and we're going to have to close in about three minutes, but I want to get your, your, okay. your idea on this one. The Connect to Compete program is a program that basically takes lifeline dollars, the $10 per person that's supposed to go to help phones, to now help broadband, right? Um, I have contended for uh, several years that the lifeline program needs to be bundled up, sent to communities in proportion to however many people are in the community that contribute to that fund, and let the community buy its best solution or leverage its best solution from that bundle of money. So if I got a thousand people that are eligible for lifeline funds, you know, per month, you know, I got like ten dollars per month. So what's that? Ten thousand dollars a month. Bundle that sucker up for a year and say what you know. With that hundred and twenty thousand dollars, you as a community find your best solution. Like so they can use that money to buy stuff. They can use that money to get more money. You know, because once you have $120,000, you can talk to people about matching that with grants and foundation and so forth. Mm-hmm. In two minutes, is that a better strategy that we really as advocates should be advocating for? I don't know. Uh, I'd have to think more about what you're saying in the dynamics involved before I really say something. I think that as social enterprise thinkers, that is something that organizations, nonprofit organizations, uh, uh, cooperatives or what have you, really need to think about. A for-profit person, they can get off into doing this stuff, and their profits can just go to buy them a trip to the Bahamas. Uh, the same with for-profit companies. Assurance, which is one of the nation leaders on providing uh, those uh, Obama phones, for lack of general terms, uh, but I think Virgin Mobile is associated with it. I firmly believe that uh, we have to have some social enterprise thinking organizations that begin to sell minutes because, therefore, we know where the money that they get, that that it has to be reinvested back in the community to make some type of tangible public good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, that would more than just bundling and trying to find some way to figure out what would an organization need to take to be a good competitor with assurance. Uh, because they're making a lot of money that's not being sent back to the mm-hmm. neighborhood. So I'm, the, the model is sort of messed up from there uh, because the money is still leaving the community. I'm trying to figure out why is it that we can't provide some of the services that people on assistance need every which is why we became a service provider. Right. You know. And we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wrap up, but um thank you very, very much for being here. Your insights are very helpful. I hope that a lot of people in the Kansas area, you know, listen to this show because these are some very good and very valid points. And thank you very much I for sharing that. those with us today. And well, we'll to talk our, again. 
Uh, no worries, you bet. And to our audience, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, probably our next show, we'll be hearing from the folks in North Carolina about what's going on down there with broadband. Have a great day. We'll talk again soon. <laughs>